Again, if you are visiting today for the first time and you're looking for a church, uh, we, you're more than welcome to be here at Redeemer. Our doors are open. What we are doing this fall is we're going to look at the first five chapters uh, of the book of John. Uh, last week and this week and next week, we're going to look at what is called the prologue of John. Very, very important statement in, in, in the Bible, but these 18 verses have been studied for the first two or 300 years of the church uh, of Jesus Christ. But what you have in a prologue, and what you have here, is kind of like a theme statement for the book. It's good literature. And, and so in, in these uh, first uh, few verses, uh, we see the theme of light in life. But Jesus himself, uh, throughout the rest of the book, is going to uh, acknowledge that. He's going to confirm this prologue. And so, for instance, in, in John 8, uh, Jesus tells us that he's the light of the world. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Then in John 11, he, Jesus tells us that he is the resurrection and the life. Uh, in John chapter 3, um, Jesus tells us this, whoever believes in the Son, whoever here this morning believes in the Son and has uh, life, but he that believeth not the Son, the wrath of God abides on him. So throughout this, uh, the book, you're going to see that this prologue is going to be uh, carried out through the life of, of Christ. One other thing before I come to, to, to read. Uh, now, last week we said that there are three other Gospels. And the three other Gospels are called the Synoptic Gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I mean, you have four Gospels. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? To, to attest to who this person is, Jesus Christ. But we call Matthew, Mark, and Luke the Synoptic Gospels because it's a synopsis of the life of Christ. Okay? And so you have... Uh, the Christmas uh, sermons are usually out of Matthew and out of Luke, right? Because you have Matthew who is writing to Jews, and his lineage is an earthly lineage that goes back to Abraham. He is Abraham's seed. That's the book of Matthew, trying to convince Jews uh, that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah. And then you have Luke, and in Luke, uh, you also have the, the lineage of Christ going all the way back to Adam. Uh, because Luke is writing more to a, a, a broader audience. But let me tell you what's interesting about John. John is not uh, discussing so much the historicity of who Christ is, even though it's historical. Uh, but, but the book of John is more of the why of, of Jesus. Why did he come into the world? And so we saw last week that he has no genealogy here, and it begins with the eternal son, the Logos, being from the very beginning. Uh, and so that John says something that's pretty mind-blowing about Jesus. Uh, he says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you what my goal here is at Redeemer, and what, what my goal the next three or four months is that if you don't know Jesus Christ that you will. And the reality is, as we go through the book of John, you cannot be neutral about him. 
If you're here today and you're an unbeliever, and I'm always thankful that we have lots of unbelievers uh, that come to Redeemer, those who are seeking and trying to understand, is the gospel true? The fact of the matter is, for all of us, Christian or non-Christian, you cannot be neutral about this. We're not just doing uh, just kind of some theological stuff here. And so either you, you need to, by God's grace, be confronted with the resurrected Christ and give yourself to him, or you need to just completely reject it. And just go, you know what, I don't believe any of that. I don't know what I believe, because if you don't believe this, you don't know what you believe. But whatever it is you believe is not light. It's not life. It's death and darkness is what it is, really. But as C.S. Lewis said, and as we come to our text, and I've quoted this before, but he said this, Christianity is either true, absolutely true, and of infinite importance, or it is not true at all and of no importance. But one thing it can never be is moderately important. And I don't like to waste any sermons with anybody ever walking out of here going, well, that was nice. But to know the life of Christ, to be born of the Spirit. If you're a believer, for that to begin to seep into your life. So I want you to turn to this prologue. And if you don't hear anything else I say, just look at this text. Uh, it's printed in your bulletin because we believe this is God's Word. So, so follow along for it. You can check out after I start preaching. But please listen to this. No, don't check out, because I worked hard on this sermon. <laughs> In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, 
He has made him known. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, in the remaining moments that we have, these are... (laughs) This text is uh, is impossible for anyone to plumb. Uh, As as one has said, that uh, uh, children can wade in this uh, and and elephants can swim. And uh, so, Lord, in the little time that we have, I pray that your word would penetrate someone this morning. Uh, Father, uh, even for believers, that if we've uh, kind of uh, been living, um, not understanding the power that's in the gospel, and have set our sights a little low, Lord, would you work in our hearts again to remind us that you are for us, that you are our Father. And we ask these things in your name. In your sake, for your sake, amen. Okay, so, so why don't we do all this preaching? I mean, why are you here today? Why do we do all this teaching? Why, why did I take my wife to St. Louis Seminary with no money, with kids, spend three, four years studying Greek, Hebrew? Uh, last night, we, we uh, had Sandra McCracken who sang, and boy, it was unbelievable. And she's, uh, she's uh, writing music. Why would she do that? Why write hymns? What is the point of it all? What's the point of all this preaching? What is the point of the Bible itself? Let me tell you the point of the Bible. If you go read what Jesus says, is about me. The, all of the scriptures, the law and the prophets, they are pointing... To this man who lived 2,000 years ago, who was born of a virgin, lived the life we don't live, died the death we deserve, and was raised from the dead. That's what the Bible is about. But the question ends up being this, and this is what I want you to think about, because as I was thinking about this text, have you ever thought about what it's like to pick a subject out of a text? I mean, what are you going to preach on? Good bet, there's a thousand sermons in this text. But as I was looking at this text, the thing that hit me is the purpose of Christ coming is in verse 12. And I'd like for you, if you have a bulletin, to turn your head down and look at that verse. It says that we might become the children of God. Now that word there is tekron, or technon. It means little child. In fact, John uses that word all the way through, whereas the other Gospels talk about Jesus being the Son of God. One of the reasons the commentators think that that John only used this word is to make the distinction between the, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, who is the older brother, and us, who are simply children. Let me read a quote by the British preacher Martin Lloyd Jones. Uh, he said this, and boy, this is great. I want you to think about this. I mean, because there's always kind of a so what to, to things, right? So what? That until we understand that we are God's children, that we have entered into the family of God, can we ever enjoy life as God has intended? Do you believe that? That the reason that the Father sent the Son into the world 
And the reason that the Son was willing to come into the world is because before time, He knew the Father. He wanted us to know the Father. And the Father loves us so much, He sends His Son into the world that we might not be orphans. And until you understand that, your life as a Christian, if you're a Christian, is just basically going to be flatlined. And you try hard and be good, and the preacher tells you you should pray more and love Jesus more, and what I call the killer bees. Be good. But until you know that God is your Father, and we're little children, can you ever delight uh, in who God is? Now, here's the problem I've discovered over, over the years. Here's what most Christians think. I think about God is that he simply, he kind of tolerates us. You ever feel that way about God? He just has to put up with you. He tolerates you. Um, that uh, as it were, he, he, he has to forgive you of your sins because Christ died for you. Uh, that he's really not soft and kind and tender toward his people, but uh, that, he's, uh, that he's harsh. You know, think about being a parent. I, I've thought a lot about this. See, I, as a parent, I love my kids. Y'all, most of y'all don't know me. But yeah, y'all that do know me know I love my kids. I do. And I feel like as a dad, you're trying to pay the bills and, you know, hey, son, how you doing? How's your day at school? Hey, honey. Uh, and, uh, and so you, as it were, as a father, are wanting them to feel like, hey, everything's okay. Your dad's here. But when they respond in such a way, and in their minds they got it, that really uh, I have to perform for my dad, or he's not going to accept me. And I have to do this, or I have to do that, or I have to do the other. Then it's very difficult as a parent because you're going, no, I love you no matter what. Why can't you get that in your head? Well, let me ask you this. If I, as a sinner, feel that way, how much more do you think Humanly speaking, it must frustrate God the Father who sent the Son that we might be His children when we're kind of going, you tolerate me. Do you understand how significant that is? It makes me as a father more righteous than God Himself because I think that I'm a better father than God is. And so he came to make us the members of the family. But the problem is we, we think that God tolerates us at best. Now, the problem with a lot of us is that we grow up in families where we, there weren't good families. Maybe your dad was indifferent toward you. Maybe he was harsh with you. Maybe your father was an alcoholic or your mother was manipulative or whatever it may be. So you've got all these funky ways of looking at God or at the family of God. The church of, of Jesus Christ here at Redeemer. But let me tell you this. Can we all agree that at some level we all know intuitively what family should be? That if you're a wife and you're married to a guy who's actually like Jesus Christ, you don't have to perform for him. He loves you. He accepts you. Think of the safety in that. Or if, uh, if you are a, a child and, and you kind of go, well, you know what? I can actually be disciplined by my father because he loves me so I can mature and I can grow. And I can actually become a responsible citizen and member of society. But let me tell you what's affected all of this. is sin. 
Sin affects everything. And I don't know what you think about sin, but if you don't like that word because it's like a religious word, let me ask you this if you're not a Christian today. Do you live, up, do you live according to your own standards? Whatever standards you have. Or to put it another way, if you're not a Christian and you say, I don't like the word sin. Well, let me ask you this. Are you seeking your own happiness? That everything's about me. I, it's all about me. It's all about my glory, that I lift myself up. Do you even begin to understand the effects that has on anybody else around you? Rather than being selfless, you're selfish. And so we have a hard time understanding family. But let me tell you this, and for, if you're a Christian, you'll understand this, and then I, I, I want to give you my points, but... Um, the Christian family is like no other family. And I'm going to tell you why. Because even in a good Christian family, do you ever feel like you get stuck in a box by your parents? Or your brother or sister, like, that's who you are, you're too loud. Or you're fidgety. Or all you do is worry, blah, blah, blah. I do it. You know, you put each other in boxes. And then we say, you can't change. Ah, but not the family of God that our text tells us that Jesus Christ came to make you a part of. You know why? Because we have the Father who is always there. That's what we sang. All, all morning we've been singing that. Y'all notice those words? He's there and he cares for you. You don't have to perform for him. That's religion. Jesus killed all religion. Because he is the tabernacle. You can be in the presence of God through me. And so Jesus says, here's the Father. And you know what? I, let me tell you what gives me great hope um, is, is when I'm in the body of Christ, I'm with other believers who go, you know what? How can change? You know why? Because he knows the Father that I know. And he's at work in my life. And you know, a Redeemer Presbyterian Church, I'll tell you what, I don't care if you get accepted, don't get accepted anywhere else. This needs to be a place because God is our Father that we're accepted and that we're in his family. Hey, let, let me ask you, can that be at least a little bit of heaven on earth? That we care for the poor? That we're involved in each other's lives? That enough to go, hey, dude, you can't do that. It's not good for you. And at the same time, you're the one who thinks you're worse than the person that you're rebuking. But you know you're loved. And if you're an unbeliever, there's no way you can understand what I'm talking about. But if you're a Christian, do you understand what I'm saying here? So, i got to ask three questions. And then we're going to come to communion because we're the family of God. And he invites us to the table. And here's what I want us to look at. What does it mean to be the children of God? How does one become a child of God? And why does one become a child of God? Okay, so first off, what does it mean to be the children of God? Well, verse 68 tells us, and I'm going to tell you right up front, God's children are witnesses to the one who is the light of the world. If you're a Christian and you're a true believer, then you want everybody to know the Father. And you say, well, where do you get that in the text? Well, I don't think I'm stretching it. But notice, all of a sudden in verse 6, if you read that, you go, wow, we're talking about Jesus Christ being the eternal Son of God, da, da, da. and then, bam, you hit 6, and it says, ah, and there was a man named John. I don't know if that struck you as funny. I looked at it for hours and hours. 
Now, why in the world is he putting John uh, here? Well, I want to give you two reasons that I think our text says uh, that we are to be witnesses to the light. Number one is because John was. And, uh, and John the Baptist, he is a witness to the light. Uh, why is that important? Well, let me tell you, the, the Bible is one history book. And if you're not a Christian, you've got to come up with some view of history. And your view of history has to jive up with the way you live your life. So, for instance, if you believe that history uh, is kind of uh, evolutionary and we don't know where it came from, we don't know where it's heaven, uh, head, head, we have no point to history, then nothing structures your ethics. You understand that? There is no light to witness to. There's only darkness. Because our yard is from the dust. And there's no point. There's no meaning. Why not sleep around? By the way, it's amazing to me how many Christians have become so promiscuous. They think it's just okay. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. And you can sleep around. Well, that's not a Christian ethic. But if you're not a Christian, you have to have something that decides on how you operate in the world. If you're going to get married, you're going to have a family, what are you going to teach your kids? Well, son, you don't want to kill somebody, go ahead. You want to have an affair? That's fine. If that makes you happy, son, you go ahead and rob Miss Jones next door. There's our apple pies out there every 12 o'clock. Just go steal it. You understand the inconsistency that's there? Or if you believe a kind of an, a, an, a yin and yang view of life, that life is cyclical, there's no point to life, it's just one good and evil thing, and you're just kind of caught up in the tumbler. Do you understand how you'll never be a good thinker? You will never understand what's going on. But you see, let me tell you what structures history. If you read the Bible, I'm going to give you a word, covenant. God gave a covenant when he created Adam and Eve. If you don't believe in Adam and Eve, I would love, I'll buy your lunch, and I'll tell you why you should believe in Adam and Eve. Because you see, the Bible teaches that God made a covenant with Adam, and when he broke that covenant, evil came into the world, and there's darkness. You explain evil if you don't have that. And you see, evil is transgression of the law of God. It is sin. It is breaking the law of God. So you know what God does? He makes a promise in Genesis chapter 3 that there will be another covenant. And that covenant is going to be one I make, I will keep. And it's the covenant of grace, first manifested in the Old Testament through shadows, and then in the New Testament through the reality of Jesus Christ, who's the second Adam, the God-man. Oh, and brothers and sisters and ladies and gentlemen, you are part of this history, whether you believe it or not. And so God makes all these promises in the scriptures, and we have a history book. You can read it. And all the law and the prophets are pointing to Christ. And then John the Baptist, he is the last of the prophets. He is the cousin of Jesus. And he points, uh, he is the one who points uh, us and prepare the way. Now you say, okay, so why did, why did God want this? Well, it's interesting in John chapter 5, and you don't have to turn there, but let me read something to you about what Jesus says about John's testimony. He basically says, I don't need his testimony. That uh, I bear witness to myself. So, John the Baptist, Jesus said, said, John was just simply the lamp. I am the light. No, no, No fire in that lamp, no witness. Let me tell you what Jesus said about John the Baptist. No man born of woman is greater than John the Baptist. Moses, Abraham, 
No man. No man is greater than John the Baptist. But you know what Jesus says when you come into the family of God and you are in God's family because John the Baptist needed the blood of Jesus Christ. He said, the least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. Isn't that amazing? You know why? Let me tell you why. If you are in Jesus Christ, you're accepted. The blood has been shed because the covenant breaker has been forgiven because Christ took that covenant. So, but be so within again. But what then? How are we to be light? I mean, what what does it mean that we are to be? If we're children of God, that we're we're witnesses to the light. Well, let me ask you this: All John was doing was reflecting what God said. Let me tell you what it means to be a Christian. Is now that you in this vessel, this earthen vessel, according to Second Corinthians chapter five, have this great treasure? Give us that great treasure, Christ in us. And, you know, you know, uh, it's, it's earthen vessels, uh, they used to take these lights and put them in these little lamps that were like one cent. And that's what they would put that light in. Light would go out, you know, they'd do the lamp, throw it down. You know why? It's because it's worth one cent. Okay, listen, what, what Paul is saying, we have this great treasure. We are to be reflecting. Now, I've got two more points to go here. But I do want to ask you this question. Are you a child of God? I'm not asking you're moral, are you good, are you sweet. I'm asking you, do you reflect the life of Christ? Is, have you entered in by God's power into the kingdom of God? Because if you have not, the worst place to be is here at Redeemer Presbyterian Church. And for 10 or 15 years, you walk out of here every Sunday, but you still don't get the light. You don't bear the light. Why? Because it's not intellectual. It's not ethical. It is this thing that God in his mercy does. And so we are to be children. Uh, uh, this is what it means. Uh, how does one become a child of God? How does one become a child of God? Can I just give you this real simply? Uh, you, you receive him. Now here's what's amazing is that some of you won't believe. You won't receive. And why is it that you won't receive? Because you don't have free will. Well, let me just say this. It says the light comes into the world, the one who made the world, and the world recognized it not. You know why? If you're not a believer, you don't recognize it. It's because you're blind. And you're dead in your sin. And you go, well, you know what? That's offensive to me. Well, I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just trying to tell you, at least from a Christian perspective, that is the Christian view. But you see, if you were blind um, and the light comes in, then you're not, you're not responding to the light. Let me put it another way. Um, and we might have mentioned this a few weeks back, but, you know, rocks, rocks don't think about stuff too much, do they? And then you have the next life form. You have insects. I'm sorry. No, you don't. It's biology majors. You have, uh, like, plants, right? The plants, are, they, at least they respond to the light, so they kind of got more going on than the rock does. And then you have insects. They're, they're a little bit more aware of what's going on in the plant, but nobody wants an insect for a pet. And then you have animals. And they're at a higher level. And then, and then you have human beings. And let me tell you, if you're an unbeliever, you're just, you're, you, you, you know you think about numbers and God and this and that and the other. And, and the reality is, um, 
you think, well, because I think about God, then, or I'm a moral person, then you know what, I'm a, then, then I'm, a, I'm fine. But the reality is, what our text says, that you're still blind to a higher plane. And that plane is the light of the gospel in Jesus Christ that only comes through grace and mercy. So, how does one become a child of God? Well, you simply respond to the light. But if you're dead in your sin, you will not respond to the light. Let me tell you why a lot of you have not responded to the light. is because you don't want to. Is that fair enough to say, well, I don't want to respond to the light. Let me tell you why you don't want to respond to the light. Because you see, if you do, then that means you are not your own anymore. And you want to live your own life. Uh, but the problem with living your own life is that your own life will end one day and, and the scripture is saying the only way that you're going to come out of that grave when your brain stops thinking because you're dead is to be united to Christ. That's how you become a Christian. Let's just simply receive Jesus <laughs> through repentance. Quit justifying yourself through your intellectual reasons or my mother did this or that, and you're just... And by the way, you want to know how you know you don't know the light? Is I'm just, Y'all hear me say this like, If you're an angry person and you're always ticked off, you're a cynical person. I can just take you through the Old Testament. You'll find cynical people. I'll show you. I was reading in Zephaniah uh, last, uh, last week. Zephaniah 1 where uh, the Zephaniah says, uh, uh, Yeah, God searches out those men who are complacent, who say God will do neither good or evil. It's all through the Bible. But you see, the way you come to Christ is when you go, Lord, please forgive me. I am, I am far bit that I'm a child of God. I am a rebel. Would you have mercy upon me? And then finally, and finally, just a few minutes here. Notice why we become children of God. Can I, can I show you why you become a child of God? It's very clear in our text. It's in verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. It's it's interesting. John puts three negatives here before he puts the positive. You, You receive him, he gives you the right in his name. And you're adopted in the family of God. But notice he says, we don't become children because of our heritage. Jews thought they were okay. Do you understand that? Just read. Jews thought they were okay because they were God's people. How many of you think you're okay because you're baptized? Or you think you're okay because uh, you do Christian ministry like downtown ministries? Or I think I'm okay because I'm a preacher. Remember when I was a kid, I used to read obituaries and go, oh, the preacher died. I wish I was him. I'm going to heaven. I don't think that anymore. <laughs> My hope is in Christ and what he has done. So it's not, it's not by, by, because of your heritage. He says we didn't become children by the will of the flesh. It's not out of your will. You're dead in your sin if you're not a Christian. You understand that? You understand the seriousness of that? That we do not become children by the will of men because of some great preacher. I, listen, 
If, you, if you're a believer, or if you say you're a believer because you heard Billy Graham and you thought he was very good, or you heard some uh, Ravi Zacharias is like, man, you know, that makes sense to me. Paul said, I did not preach to you in wise and persuasive words so that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom but on God's power. So you can be the intellectual that's here and you're 40 years old and you have all these doubts and I can have a little 12-year-old kid who's been baptized this morning if the Holy Spirit speaks to him. He'll believe. The sovereignty of God is what it says. That you're born by the mercy of God. Now I want to close on this because we have to come to communion. You see it there? That's how you put it. You do not yourself make yourself a child of God. Human responsibility, sure, you need to receive him. But dead men don't receive him. But you're responsible. But you see, mercy is when God begins to open your eyes. And the first thing he does is he makes you alive to the reality of your sin. You're awakened to the law and the law condemns you. And at that point, the Holy Spirit wills you to Christ and he has mercy upon you. And you say, wait a minute, what about mercy? Well, I'm going to close by telling you this. There's, there's, uh, God, there's three kinds of fair this morning. And I pray that you'll, you'll understand what real fairness is. There's below fair. Let me tell you what. God can never do what's below fair. Or Christianity's dead, done. And who would want to believe in a God that's not fair? He's always fair. And then there's fair. And I assure you that Almighty God, the triune God, is fair because of who He is. He is just with everyone. And so fair is if you get what you deserve. And then above fair... Because God's not obligated if you want what's fair. Above fair is called mercy. Have you ever experienced the mercy of God? Then you will be children of light. And if you're not, just start asking God to have mercy upon you. So that you might know the mercy of God in Jesus Christ and not continue to remain in your sins. Thank you. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, thank you for the gospel, the free gospel of Christ who came into the world for sinners. Father, I pray that if there are any who are here who are hardening their heart, that they might not walk out of here without at least saying, Lord, if these things are true, would you continue to show me these things and convert people this morning? that people would be born again. And uh, thank you for this time. Now as we come to the Lord's Supper, we pray that you bless uh, our final moments together. And we ask it in your name. Amen.